Welcome to Screw It, We're Just Gonna Talk About Comics. That's Comic Books, the podcast where two older white dudes talk about the comics they loved as children. I'm one of those older white dudes, Kevin Hines. And I'm the other one, Will Hines, uh, the other one of your two co-hosts. Yeah, we are UCB performers and teachers, and UCB is a comedy theater that is based in New York and Los Angeles. I am in the New York theater. And I'm in the Los Angeles theater. I'm making deals. I'm going to auditions. I'm getting it done. And also, we are brothers. Oh, yeah, that's right. We grew up together. Uh, So we have the same last name and the same parents, and uh, we also have another brother that is both of our brothers. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Those mm -hmm. are all things that come with being brothers. And this season, we are covering the entire 102-issue run that Jack Kirby and Stan Lee did of the Fantastic Four, one of, if not the most important comic book runs from Marvel's early years. Yeah, this is the uh, sort of became the template for superhero comics at Marvel and for at a lot of places for a long time, and was the first comic book that like sort of existed in the what we now know as the Marvel Universe. And uh, and plus the issues are just great, especially the ones we're going over today. Yeah, these are spectacular issues. So up to this point, we've been doing a weird format that is very confusing mm-hmm. where we would spend one episode just recapping, just kind of going through the issues, hitting a lot of just page-by-page stuff. And then the next episode of our podcast, we would talk about that a little more in depth, maybe talk about one of the characters, answer emails. But for the next three episodes, we're not doing that. Instead, we're covering smaller issue arcs so that we can kind of combine all that stuff into one episode. I'm excited. Kevin, Today we're th- these issues today are so good, I don't even know if we are worthy to discuss them. Yeah, when we originally talked about doing this season, one of the things we talked about was just do, just starting with the issue we start with today, starting with issue 44 uh, and kind of going to, I think, 54 or yeah. 53. But we ended up deciding to do 102 issues. So this is the heart of the run, I think, almost... Everyone would agree with that. Definitely everyone agrees that the Galactus trilogy that we're going to be doing next week is a peak moment. Uh, but these four issues are, I think, just as good. You know, it's kind of nuts as we didn't really discover these until our 20s. Like, we read the Fantastic Four when we were kids, but we read the first six issues because we had a collection. And then we also read the issues that were coming out at that time, which this was that was the 1980s. That was the John Byrne run, which is also really good. That mm-hmm. was the Fantastic Four we knew and loved. And then much later, we read what was the, a collection came out called The Essential Fantastic Four that sort of reprinted these sort of inexpensive black and white reprints of the first hundred issues. And that was the first time I read these. Yeah, I mean, we knew the characters, the Inhumans. We had heard about the Galactus story. Uh, and uh, it's, I think I read the Marvel's recreation of the Galactus story before I read the actual issues. I'm not 100% sure of that, but I think that might be true. And then it was, um, so we were reading these essentials, the essential Fantastic Four, when we were in our 20s. I read it through from, you know, issue one to issue whatever, and was blown away at how good these stories got. Like, they just hit this groove starting today, that starting with the issue, starting with issue 44, that's incredible. Like, it's, it's, it's some of the coolest superhero stories I've ever read. It's just, it's mind blowing. 
the essential Fantastic Four we read, I think the first volume was 20 issues. Mm-hmm. And then the second volume was another 20 issues. Yeah. Um, and I think we were like halfway through volume two going, we haven't even gotten to Galactus yet. <laughs> we were surprised at how long it took. But like the issues were like, it's, he's, I mean, Galactus wasn't until volume three. Yeah. And it's like the Fantastic Four up until now has been has been really good. It's always been fun. It's always been inventive. It's often been also really good action stories. But like it's it's like Jack Kirby, the artist and co-writer, and Stan Lee, the co-writer and editor, they're figuring it out as they go. And by the time they get to issue 44, they have it figured out. And they have a perfect balance of like action and character and drama and pathos and it's like you can't put these things down yeah it was all starting to come together in that last arc we did about the frightful four uh which was like uh issues oh i forget exactly 35 through 43 43 ish i mean a couple of those issues weren't frightful four yeah but they were starting to come together there were things were building on each other there were character moments there were laughs but it didn't feel like it was making fun of the idea of the Fantastic Four. It was just like, it was just like funny moments with the Fantastic Four. The Fantastic Four is such a strange comic book because the Fantastic Four themselves are often not the best part of the book. And I think part of the reason why this next stretch is really good is we start focusing on all these characters that just surround the Fantastic Four who in a way, are better than the Fantastic Four, or at least they, they look better in these stories. Or, or, or yeah. I can't quite explain it. It's never, like, Spider-Man stories is a hero's journey every issue. It's like Spider-Man is the focus. He is the best character in the stories. You're completely invested in his journey. It's simpler. Fantastic Four is a weird balancing act of, like, 20 ideas an issue, but it's just that Kirby got good enough to do it. And pull- I, w- I will say I think that the Fantastic Four at this point and through like the next uh, uh, bunch of issues sort of builds the Inhumans and the Frightful Four and Dragon Man uh, and Galactus and the Silver Surfer for sure into like sort of an extended family of the Fantastic Four. Like the Silver Surfer and the Inhumans are in a lot of issues where they're not even the main part of the plot. They're just sort of like, let's check in on almost like Spider-Man would check in on what Betty was doing or what J. Jonah Jameson was doing. And I think it benefited from that. Yeah. By expanding its focus. I, I feel like if I wrote the Fantastic Four now, after this most recent reread, I would want to, if not include the Inhumans, uh, include something, some other worlds that would just sort of become part of this book as a consistent storyline. Like it would just be like, oh yeah, we always have to check in on these characters because we, if we ignore them, it's like ignoring J. Jonah Jameson for too long in Spider-Man. It's, it's, it becomes, um, yeah, it is, it is an ensemble book, and the ensemble is bigger than just the four. It's like it's these other groups also. Yeah, you're right. The Silver Surfer shows up once he gets introduced, which we'll do next episode. He starts showing up all the time. The Inhumans that start today the, in issue 44, they're, they're in the... For the rest of the series, they are major players in the Fantastic Four story. Yeah, they sort of story. fade away. They fade away at some point after um, uh, the crystal sticks around for a longer. But I think they get their solo book and they fade away a little bit around then. 
There's just um, you know, but they're I, around I, for far longer than any story that they're part of. It feels like some superhero books, especially Marvel books, maybe you could group them into two types. One is the sort of like the loner, the lone hero book, and this would be like Daredevil or Spider-Man. Or if you go over to DC, like Batman or Superman, where it's like, actually, I don't know about Superman, but um, where, you know, the main character, the person who's in the title of the book is the story. Um, but then like X-Men, Fantastic Four, it's like a tribe. You're, the book is a community of individuals with all kinds of interpersonal things going on. And it's like a balancing act of all of them is why you read it. I mean, this has become a... A sprawling ensemble. It's it is about to become a sprawling ensemble of a book, like Game of Thrones or something. Yeah, Claremont's X Men is probably the closest um, correlation because it's like, oh, now we have to check in with the Star Jammers and, uh, uh, and what's Bro- going the on Brotherhood with of Evil, Brotherhood yeah. of Evil Mutants or something like. You, you, if you're reading Claremont's X Men in the early '80s, you're aware of this huge landscape of people, and that's part yeah. of the fun. Yeah, where other characters, yeah, Superman, Batman, Spider-Man, it's more about their human friends. Yeah, it's, it's like, about it's about the planet, and the bugle, and Batman is about Alfred and, and maybe his sidekicks and Commissioner Gordon. I don't know how much day to day life you get of Batman's uh, human people, but um, uh, definitely during runs of those books, it's like oh, there's time we need to focus on. The, the people in his life. But like you could, if you were reading X-Men in the early 80s, this and this might have always been true about X-Men, but I can only speak to when I was reading it and you, and you know, these Chris Claremont written issues. And let's say your favorite character was Wolverine. You could buy an issue of X-Men. He might not be in it. <laughs> like it yeah. might be all about like Colossus and Kitty Pride, or you're with Storm as she like goes back to Africa and like tries to fix some problem with her family. Um, and it, that was never bad. That was like part of the fun, but you know, the Fantastic Four here basically becomes the Inhumans book for the next couple issues. Yeah, though the Fantastic Four are always in it. And so speaking specifically to the Fantastic Four, there's a couple of things that Kirby seems to always insist on having, which is like we they all use their powers very demonstrably and visually. Like he invents ways for them to use their powers. But the crazy thing is the Inhumans also have all these visual things. Like the book becomes just like this insane series of visual inventions every issue i mean it's almost like a parody of a superhero book there's so many powers being used it almost shouldn't work the inhumans are weird it includes the character medusa who was just introduced like five or six issues goes to some sort of feral warrior woman with moving hair dragon man is kind of a weird design he's an a robotic artificial life form that breathes fire has wings but it doesn't look like a dragon. I don't know. He's just like this, some unique look to him. And it, they're both in this issue. And then there's they introduce Gorgon, who is like... A brute. Yeah, he's got these big like hoof feet that he can create earthquakes with. <laughs> it's like, what is this book? Jack Kirby's superpowers that he comes up with are so specific and weird. Like, And then he treats them with complete commitment and drama without irony. I mean, the Silver Surfer works and is cool and looks cool i think at all times but at, yeah at first just quickest glance it's like the dude's power is a surfboard he is a cosmic yeah. alien whose power is a surfboard oh yeah that's right 
The um, Silver Surfer looks cool. Everyone loves how he looks. Everyone loves him in comic books. But I remember when the Silver Surfer movie came out, the Fantastic Four, Rise of the Silver Surfer, um, there was like a poster for it in a movie theater, and my wife saw it, and she was like, that's stupid. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, it is stupid. Yeah. Um, and the Inhumans <laughs> and, and, and Jack Kirby... I think in an effort to be new and to not have cliches, or, or maybe Kirby was just just freaky. <laughs> His powers are crazy. It'll be like it'll be like my power is snapping. I can snap my fingers at such a rhythm that it'll disorient you. But it's not yeah. presented as a joke. It's like, oh, here comes Snap Man or whatever, and then it's like, yeah. here comes Can like he, Opener, and like he can like open up any metal container. A, uh, his new gods had a character who like had a cowboy hat with little capsules that he had sitting on it that he would throw at people. Oh yeah, yeah. And it's like what the, okay. for, the forever people. Um, also, this issue is the start of inker Joe Sinnott. Oh yeah, who's the best inker that Jack Kirby ever had on this? Yeah, run. I, people w- will say, often say, and we will also say, is the best inker that Kirby had on the Fantastic Four, and is pretty much synonymous i think with fantastic four like he is definitely the third name that you should think of when you think of the fantastic four it should be kirby and lee then joe sinnott or yeah. Sinat. i'm not even sure how it's pronounced and then some other run <laughs> names are always pronounced weird in comics like it looks like it should be Sinat, but i wouldn't be surprised if it's sinwa or something i feel like whenever i hear about the way comics artists names are pronounced it's never what i think it's going to be well i'm going to say Sinat. Yeah, okay, me uh, too. Until someone emails me and corrects me. So yeah. email me at screwitspidey at gmail.com if you know how it's pronounced. I will not look it up. Uh, also, issue 44, the one we're going to start with, begins a thing that they have already been doing on Fantastic Four, which is the stories don't end at the end of the issue. Uh, the issues always end in a cliffhanger, and then if something gets wrapped up, it gets wrapped up at the halfway point of the next issue, and then a new thing starts. Yeah, that's even more extreme during this run. Like during the Frightful Four run, things didn't end, but it also when they did end, it would be like every few issues at the end of an issue. And now all of a sudden storylines seem to end at any given page. Uh, basically, we're doing we're covering four issues and it doesn't really have an ending because the ending is in issue 40, uh, uh, 48 mm-hmm. is sort of where it wraps up. We're going to get to a point where, like, Maximus blows up the planet or something. And it was like, the end. Let's talk to you next episode. So this po- podcast will have a cliffhanger just like the issue does. Because it doesn't. Galactus' storyline starts mid-issue. Let's get into issue 44. Let's do it. So this is called The Gentleman's Name is Gorgon. <laughs> which is an extremely Stan Lee title, right? Or, as a subtitle, what a way to spend a honeymoon. <laughs> because, uh... Last month was the annual, and the annual was where Reed and Sue finally got married. It's no longer Sue Storm. She's taken her husband's name. She is Sue Richards. We see her in a maid's costume at the first panel of this issue. And she is uh, uh, almost immediately treated poorly, worse by Reed. Yeah, this is one of the worst marriages in Marvel Comics. Even the splash page, Stan sort of insults her because he gives them all nicknames. Which they never, Uh, they don't have. They've never been called these nicknames much. Uh, sometimes I think uh, the thing will call somebody by a nickname. But uh, Reed is called Stretcho. Which thing only... is called Blue Eyes. Mm-hmm. Johnny is called Matchhead. Yeah. And Sue is called Sweetums. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's Ugh. not It's not great. Um, 
<laughs> also, Stan Lee is so crazy. Like, why do we... We don't need nicknames, right? <laughs> and if I was going to give Thing a nickname, the guy who's made of orange rocks, it wouldn't be Blue Eyes. <laughs> yeah. What do you think so the most he, distinguishing feature of this guy is? is it so that there is a point where he starts referring to his blue eyes a lot in the comics, right? Yes. These nicknames are almost all things that Thing would say, except for Sweetums. Yeah. I can't imagine him calling Sue Sweetums. But he does call Reed Susie. Stretcho. Susie is what call he calls her. her, yeah. Yeah. And he would call uh, the torch Matchstick, maybe. Maybe not Matchhead. Uh, there's a lot in this issue, uh, even beyond the gentleman whose name is Gorgon. It's the return of Medusa, who was found by the leader in a cave somewhere. The, the and wizard? forced to join the frightful... F- oh, sorry, yeah, the, the wizard. Mm-hmm. The leader is the Hulk's villain. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, the wizard found Medusa in some cave somewhere. And recruited her to be part of the Frightful Four. And at that point, she was just some weird character. But when the Frightful Four got arrested last issue, the two I think two of them got arrested. Uh, Medusa got away. Right. So we start off with the FF are kind of squabbling in the way that they often do. Yes. Uh, Reed has created some machine to help Sue wash dishes. Yeah, some sort of dishwashing machine. Yes. Uh, but it's the most complicated looking dishwashing machine you could imagine. And he's stretching his arm really long to operate it. Yeah, um, it does not seem useful. Yeah. Uh, that's a classic FF opening panel. Some huge machine and Reed is just stretching all around it. Yeah. Um, Johnny and Ben are fighting a little bit. Sue is being demeaned. Um, but the action is when Johnny gets into his car. And um, I mean, this is like nonstop. He gets into his car. Gorgon, who we haven't even met yet stomps the ground in front of his car, causing a little mini earthquake. He drives away and Medusa's in the back seat, holding him at gunpoint. Yeah, somehow Medusa had gotten into Johnny's hot rod, which was just parked on the street. Uh, I, mean, I don't know how you found that parking spot, Johnny, but good on you. Yeah, he's right in front of the uh, Baxter building. Uh, and she pulls a gun on Johnny because she needs him to help her get away from whoever caused that earthquake. Um, this is one of the things where I think Stan and Jack were together. Like there's a panel of Medusa pointing a gun at Johnny and it's basically telling him to, you know, drive her someplace. And the yeah. cap and her speech balloon is, this is a vacuum gun and you cannot flame on in a vacuum. So don't try it. Cause I think that's kind of the thing that Stan looks at this panel and he's like, well, the torch could just fly away from a bullet. Like we've seen him yeah. melt bullets. But if it's a vacuum gun, then I guess there's a slight technicality of what she's constantly sucking the air out around him or something like yeah. that. Or it might be a point where Jack showed Stan this thing and Stan asked that question and then they came up with the answer together. Yeah. Um, or I guess there's even the chance that Jack thought of it. But there's a lot of times where I feel like Jack did not think of it. He's just like, this is a cool picture. <laughs> I, I picture just a lot of these issues, even now when they're really cruising along and doing great still being put together kind of fast and furious. And it's just like a lot of, uh, not a lot of back and forth. Um, But when I was taking notes, I also just wrote down like, this is kind of the point now that the Frightful Four are gone, we go kind of a long stretch without a supervillain, a real supervillain, like a villain, a human being who is trying to either profit or rule our planet. It's like basically, I think until Doom comes back, and it's a lot of just them getting involved in weird worlds and the threats of those worlds and uh, extra planar things. And it, and I wonder how much of that was like a plan of just like, oh, let's move them into this area where they sort of run into all this stuff. Let's stop giving them supervillains. Or if it was just, hey, we just did 20 issues without a supervillain. Let's bring Doom back. Uh, and I don't know for sure. 
So Medusa wants Johnny to drive her somewhere. She's running away from someone she calls Gorgon. We cut back to the Baxter building, and the other three members of the Fantastic Four are just suddenly... They fall to their feet because there's like earthquakes happening and they don't know yeah. what it is. Uh, Sue is protecting them with a force field. The thing looks out the window and sees, again, we haven't seen this guy yet. We just see his feet, but we see these feet kind of crushed into the building, climbing up the side of the building with just sheer muscle power. I mean, this is a guy who's got super powered feet. That's what his power is. <laughs> yep. And uh, we haven't met him yet. And he climbs to the top of the Baxter building and steals their helicopter. And he's <laughs> yep. chasing Medusa. Who at this point, Johnny and Medusa are like at some river somewhere. Yeah. And Medusa got away, I think, because Johnny let her get away because she's so pretty. So it's nice that Medusa was smart to go to Johnny for help. He's weak. He's weak for these females. Yeah. Johnny tries to flame on. Medusa zaps him out. And then in what seems like we already have enough things going on, but now Dragon Man enters the picture and he is also chasing Medusa. Last we saw Dragon Man, he had sort of fallen on this lake and they couldn't find him anymore. So they thought he was dead or missing. Uh, and they're back near that lake and they've woken Dragon Man up with their fight. He, yeah, and Dragon Man starts to attack Medusa. But then Medusa, because she's a woman, reminds him of the Invisible Girl, who's also a woman. And the Invisible Girl was nice to Dragon Man. And so Dragon Man kind of backs off a little bit. Yeah, Dragon Man is a sucker for the dames. Just like Johnny. Uh, Now Gorgon catches up, and so now Gorgon, man of these super-powered feet, he's he's got strong feet, he can kick stuff, he can, like, stomp. He mostly stomps. It's interesting. They've spent so much of this issue, the first eight pages, not showing Gorgon beyond his feet, but there's no, like, big reveal moment. At this point, he just gets out of the car, and he's in action. Yeah, he just starts immediately fighting. Um yeah, it was big suspense and no payoff. And then, um, so now we it have It feels Dragon- like there should be a splash page, right? Like there should be a yeah, splash yeah. page of him. and being Here like, what he is. Cool. I mean, we saw him on the actual splash page of the comic. And the uh, so it's, we've seen what he looks like. So I guess it's spoiled. But yeah. it feels like it should be here. I mean, I think Jack just has like a minimum requirement of introducing at least 50 new superheroes an issue. Or he doesn't feel like he's done his job. So we have Dragon Man, Medusa. Gor- so he doesn't have time to spend a lot of time in each one is what I'm saying. Yeah. So they're and now they're fighting, and Dragon Man is protecting Medusa with his flame breath, uh, and it's just a full on battle. And like we've got a couple pages of fights without any FF in it because Johnny's out cold. Yeah, Johnny's out. So it's Gorgon, Dragon Man, and Medusa. So here's the powers we have: we have an android who breathes fire, a woman who has super hair, and a guy who stomps things. But the battle looks cool. That's not a complaint on the result. I'm just saying the pitch for this battle is sounds dumb yeah hollywood shoots this down right here johnny wakes up and he gets his powers back he enters the fray meanwhile the ff back at the baxter building are sort of recovering from their building being shook a lot reads in a cast which is weird that a guy who can stretch has broken bones or sprained bones is that's physiologically interesting confusing yeah his body works in confusing ways he can't just like stretch his bone up to heal it or something like that i love superheroes and casts johnny was the one when fighting the hulk and it looks so great whenever spider-man has a sling i love it (laughs) well this issue is for you then because stretchos in a sling yeah i love it more Um, of that he should always be in a sling reed is stretching what looks like several city blocks worth out of the baxter building and then yeah. Thing and Sue grab on. 
Because uh, he's looking for where their helicopter went, right? Yeah, I don't quite know what his plan is. I think he's just, he's like, I want to use my powers. Uh, yeah, I think he's just trying to scan the city. He's got all these gadgets. You think one of those could help him find it, but instead he just sticks his head out the window. And stretches and Dragon a couple Man, blocks. Dragon Man grabs him. Yeah, somehow the fight, which looked like it had been happening at a river or in a forest, is now in midtown Manhattan. Well, it was, but to get away, Dragon Man, uh, Medusa stole Johnny's car, and then Dragon Man... Okay. Grabbed that car and flew away with it. Gotcha. And okay. by that. Okay, my bad. So the fight is now in Midtown Manhattan. So now we have all the Fantastic Four and Medusa and Dragon Man and Stomp and Gorgon. And you got to keep in mind, the FF don't know what's going on. They don't know who this guy is that stole their <laughs> helicopter. All they know is one of the members of the Frightful Four and Dragon Man are on the roof of their building. And, and Dragon Man has grabbed Reed. So the thing punches Dragon Man. I think smart move. Um, the fight is really fun. We have just a lot of, you know, Gorgon is stomping. But every time he stomps, everybody falls over. He, they're on some other abandoned building at some point. And he stomps the roof so that it caves open and Dragon Man falls through several floors of a building. That's right. And then at the, at the end of page 15, they finally talk. Okay, this is the first Gorgon exchange of words. explains that he and Medusa are from the same race of people. Yeah. And they are forbidden to mingle with others. And so they have a little... But then they start fighting again. Oh, because Medusa doesn't want to go with him, so she's resisting. And then Johnny shows up, and Johnny doesn't know that they talked. So he just, oh, he does like a, um, he makes a flaming javelin and like throws it or something. Johnny's always making stuff out of flame that he never does again. Like Jack likes to have him always doing something different. But yeah, they just fight for a few more pages until Gorgon creates an earthquake so big that like, I don't know, it seems to knock down a block of buildings. Which, you know, you live in New York City. I've lived in New York City. Well, you live in New Jersey. You're in the New York City area. We have lived in New York City. That would be news if somebody crushed an entire, even if it was all abandoned buildings. You'd read about it. I've never seen an entire block of abandoned buildings. There's at least some drugstore that just got the owner's life ruined or something. Yeah, yeah. Or some kind of cell phone retail shop, whatever the 1964 equivalent of that just got destroyed. Or a cell phone shop that just was way ahead of its time. Uh, Some more fighting, some more fighting. And what's the cliffhanger? Gorgon. So, the, so at this point, Medusa is scared about Gorgon taking her. So she wraps her hair around the FF to throw the FF at Gorgon. And then Dragon Man bursts through the wall, grabs Medusa and Sue and flies off. And he likes, Gorgon he likes dames. kicks the building they're on over. And that's how the issue ends. With a building toppling over, uh, the two women being flown away on Dragon Man's claws. And that's it. There's no wrap up. So I my like when I'm reading this story, what I love it's really fun. The action's great. All the drawings look uh, look look great. You know the composition of the panels, as nuts as it is, it's pretty easy to follow when you're reading it. Um, but what I love about it is like it is simultaneously the most cliche superhero book ever, just fighting, 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 but also the coolest, weirdest, freakiest, like '60s groovy nuts powers like hair and foot stomping and a stretching dude i mean it just it looks odd <laughs> in a in a way that i love i love this the way this story sort of just can't seem to it doesn't seem like this story could slow down even if you wanted to at this point it reminds me of the old shield tv show not the marvel organization but the michael chiklis cop show where every episode it just felt like his entire 
like structured life would start to fray at the edges. Problems would come up. Mm-hmm. The things he had done wrong would come back to haunt him. Mm-hmm. But then also he had to do his job. And he just like was just racing around town trying to put out fires. And every fire he put out started another one. He just never had a chance to breathe. That's what these issues feel like to me. It's just this idea of like how Dragon Man's back and Medusa's back. And this guy is chasing her and they stole her helicopter. And now buildings are falling down. Well, we don't have time to figure this out. Yeah, you just get little pieces of information barely kind of meted out in small portions amongst the fight. There's no point here where I would expect Reed to stop and go, hey, we should call the Avengers. There's too much going on to even think about it. I mean, yeah, like as we leave this issue, a building is collapsing under their feet. And his new wife has been kidnapped. That's right. Although she is a superhero. Yeah, but yes. But, but one that he will, in the next issue, I think, even start telling to shut up a lot. Right. Or at least at some point in these four issues, he starts yelling at her just so much. Let's go to issue 45 because this is where we meet the Inhumans. Right. So we heard that Gorgon and Medusa are part of a race, but we haven't heard much about that race yet. Like what their name is or what their story is. So we start issue 45 and on the splash page, the beginning of the story, the building is collapsing and they're all trying to like catch themselves. Uh, It's a great looking splash page. The thing is like buried in rubble. Johnny's flying around. Reed is like stretched all within it. So like Reed stretches to hold the thing. Johnny is holding up Reed like he's a giant sort of diaper thing and and johnny's a stork that's a dumb way to describe it and um but johnny can't hold on he lets reed go but reed can bounce and thing is made of indestructible rock so they're okay (laughs) you made this note in our notes about how johnny's reaction to dropping them is so melodramatic considering the next panel they're fine yeah johnny drops them and he's like i have to let you go i failed you both of you when you needed me most and then he next panel they land and they're totally okay yeah, that's John. Stan Lee loves the dialogue. When you needed the mo- me the most, I failed. That's like what Spider Man is saying when he's lifting the big wall off his yeah back in uh, Amazing Spider Man thirty three. It's a very Stan Lee dialogue. Yeah, but in this case, it's just he dropped Reed a couple feet. He dropped Reed, who's a man made of rubber and a stone man, um, but they're okay. So Johnny starts flying around the city looking for Sue and Dragon Man and Medusa, but it's his sister that he's very motivated to find. Yep. And he Good sees man. them. He's yep, yep. Good brother. Kevin, would we'll you go it. flying to find me if I was trapped by the dragon man and you could fly? I mean, if I could fly, I'd probably have better things to do. Okay, well let's not get into it. So um <laughs> he finds Dragon Man, they start all fighting again, right? Yeah, they just launch into fights so fast. Oh, and then this is crazy. Oh yeah, Johnny uses a new power, his like He blinds the he dragon man. Increases his flame to temporarily become blindingly bright and it blinds Dragon Man. And Sue is telling Johnny to back off. We presume that she's going to charm him like she always charms Dragon Man. But then we cut away as if we don't have enough going on. Yeah. We cut away to a jail and the Frightful Four escape. The Frightful Two. They don't escape. They're just lamenting that Medusa is not rescuing them. Oh, they pound a wall, but it doesn't break. Yeah. Looks, looks uh, like they break through glass, but it's uh, there's another pane of glass has already slid into place as the trapster, okay, formerly yeah. known as Paste Pot Pete. They put Sandman and Pace Pop Pete in the same cell. The wizard got away and Medusa got away. So it's just those two. And they're Frightful mad too, that yeah. Medusa... I guess somehow they heard Medusa's wandering around the city and they're mad she's not come to rescue them. Okay, so we're just visiting in on these guys. Yeah, and this is what I'm talking about. Like, there's no reason to check on these guys. They're not a part of the story. They don't come back for a while. But this is just sort of being like, you might want to know where these characters are. They are part of this world now. Yeah, they're part of the extended family. Uh, Back to the FF. Reed has got some crazy gizmo that he's using to scan and see what's going on. Reed, Reed every now and then, just seems to have a TV device that lets him see anything in the universe. 
Yeah. Though in this case, he just sees that they're landing on the roof of his building. <laughs> um, so the gadget was sort of overkill. Yes. Uh, and Dragon Man has calmed down. Sue has calmed him down, and he's helping bringing her back sort of voluntarily. And things calm down for a moment. We're at, like, this is sort of where the story ends. Page six. Like, this is where the last story ends. Yeah, they're not falling from a building. Dragon Man has been tamed. Medusa and Gorgon are gone. So things are at a moment of rest. Uh, Yeah, you're right. This is like, this is the strange pace we're on now. Like, it doesn't happen at the end of an issue. We don't begin in peace. We just sort of mid-issue have these moments of resetting. So Johnny's exhausted and decides, but he's also restless. So he goes for a walk and he sees a strange, beautiful girl. First he tried to call Dory, right? He tries to call his girl, Dory Evans. Uh, But but she she blows him off. She blows him off. And so the lesson here is if you're dating a superhero... And he asks you to go get a soda or go for a walk. Girl, you better say yes because he's going to find some other person who might have superpowers to replace you. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah, Johnny goes for this walk and sees a beautiful woman who, again, like we don't get a good look at. We see, like, from the back of her hair. We see her from a distance. distance. Also, Uh, I like seeing Johnny in his civvies. He's wearing this cardigan. He looks looks red. Yeah. I like burn away soon. Johnny falls love at first sight with this girl who we know we we know is Crystal, but we don't yet know that in this point in the story. And she can and she whips up a windstorm, right? Yeah, she sort of doesn't want Johnny getting close, so she creates sort of a weather storm. Uh, uh, and so she gets, and away, gets away. And now yeah. Johnny is mooning over. Her. He's back at the Baxter Building. Dragon Man is just kind of hanging out like a buddy. Reed and Ben are working on something, and Johnny is in love with this girl, and he wonders where she is. This mysterious move by who we will find out is Crystal, really worked on Johnny. He is in love with her now. Yep, and he will remain so for a long time in this comic. Yeah, that's right. I think for the rest of Kirby's run, he's in love with her. So Johnny goes back out looking for Crystal. Even though it's ham-fisted and silly, I like when there's romance stories in FF. It balances it out for me. I think this is the most interesting Johnny has been uh, in a long time. So he goes seeking her out. He's just compelled to find her. But Crystal runs away. She doesn't want to see him. Uh, What she says as she's running away is, I can't. I mustn't. If they learn I was seen by anyone, leave me alone. They must not find you. And she's running away. But then when Johnny flames on, she gets confused and thinks he he is one of her race. You have hidden powers, too. Then you must be one of us. Why didn't you say so? And then she's all smiles. And Johnny lies. Um, He goes, sure, I'm one of you. That's what I've been trying to tell you. No, you haven't, Johnny. I'm the human torch, but my friends call me Johnny. Crystal's response, I would like to be, dash, 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 your friend. Yeah, and then Lockjaw shows up. Lockjaw is the best. The best dog in Marvel Comics. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Lockjaw just appears. He is a giant-sized bulldog with antenna and no pupils. Or maybe he has yeah. a mask? He does not have a mask, I don't think. I think it's just dark around his eyes in these drawings. He's got no pupils. Um, and he can teleport. That's his power, right? Yeah. Um, but he's a dog, <laughs> so you don't always yes. know where he's going to go. There was a stretch in Marvel Comics where he had been retconned to be an actual inhuman that just looked like a dog. Oh, okay. And uh, I think Peter David undid that retcon because he's like, when Peter David reads these old issues, he's like, they treat him like a dog. <laughs> like, in this comic here, Crystal is petting him and hugging his head. If yeah. he is not a dog, then they are really mean to him. Yeah, so, uh, it's better that he's a dog. Uh, it's just yeah. kind of fun that there's a super dog. Like, 
Why not have a super dog? We have all these we have all these primates walking around with powers. Why can't a dog sometimes? Why can't a canine animal get some superpowers? Uh, yeah, I agree. Uh, it's it's he's much more fun as a dog. He shows up in so many comics now. People just first of all, he's a very handy dog because he teleports. Yeah. He just shows up in so many books. He's great. Lockjaw is one of these things that Jack Kirby's really good at, which is like because of his cool look and a fun name. And just quirky enough powers, he's just fun to throw in the mix. Like, you can throw Lockjaw into your story. He doesn't, like, take over, but he's fun to have around. Also, you can just have a dog. Like, there's always room for a dog in a story. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He gets along with everyone. He is maybe the, the most beloved Marvel character, like, within the universe. Everyone's always glad to see Lockjaw. Yeah. What a great name. Crystal escorts Johnny into some weird basement area. And then we cut away to back to the Baxter building where Dragon Man is kind of getting unruly. And so the thing immediately starts beating him up. <laughs> yeah, that's right. They get into a fight. So that's we have a little fight gets. here with Dragon Man and the Fantastic Three. But this is also where Johnny starts getting, uh, Reed starts getting mean to Sue. Oh, is it? S- Sue warns Reed, don't get too near him, darling. And Reed's response, days after they got married. Stop sounding like a wife and find me that gun, lady. <laughs> yeah, uh, Stan and Jack love tough-talking dudes. Yeah. Uh, and it's weird. Although, I, in the middle of this fight, Reed turns himself into a cube and, like, gets between Thing and Dragon Man. And uh, it looks great. <laughs> and Sue's the one who fires the tranquilizer gun. She's still better than she was in the early issues. But it's just, it's, it's I don't know, it's upsetting to see her new husband just... Talked to her so brusquely. In an effort to establish Reed as the smart leader of the team, Stan just makes him a bossy jerk at all times. Yes. Um, but okay, they tranquilize Dragon Man. He takes a little nap on the floor. They put a pillow and a blanket over him, which <laughs> looks so funny. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Dragon Man is just like laying on his own arm and snoring. <laughs> I think my first, uh, the first time I saw Dragon Man in the comic was in the Power Pack series. Uh huh. And I always thought he was sort of stupid. But reading these comics, I'm like, oh, he should have never left the Fantastic Four. Yeah. He is great. It's just like a thing they have to deal with. Just like an annoying pet almost. Yeah. Um, okay, we cut back to Johnny. So Johnny is now in the realm of the Inhumans, although we, again, or some don't know sort of like some sort of base, right? I'm not sure where this place is. It's not their homeland, but it is like a under Midtown Manhattan base. If you're a Marvel superpower creature, you got to have a presence in New York City. That's right. You got yeah, at least a, a satellite stu- office. A satellite office or a mansion or a skyscraper or an underground lair or a corner of the sewer that you have decorated or something. Or a gym in Hell's Kitchen. Yep. An apartment in Chelsea with a skylight. You got to have something. You got to do it. And we're not talking Queens or Brooklyn, really. No, it's no, got to no, be no, Manhattan. It's got to be really Manhattan. close to Manhattan. Maybe an island off, off in the river. I would. I'd accept that. Uh, yeah, somewhere between Governor's Island and uh, East Village, maybe that's or okay. like a floating base above the clouds. That also I'd accept. Oh, yeah, you could do that, or some kind of hologram f- ship. Uh, anyway, the first person he meets is Karnak, maybe my favorite Inhuman. <laughs> He's so nuts. His power is that he sees the flaw in anything, so and like can he can karate, karate chop, chop a block and it shatters into dust because he knew the exact place to hit it. Yeah. He's not super strong. He's just perfect in where he hits. It's such a specific power, and all the Inhumans have powers that weird, and they're all super cocky about it. You yeah. know, they all say, you have, no, you know, they'll say something like, you have not seen the unimaginable power of Karnak. Chop. <laughs> yeah. And Karnak then just sort of does a karate flip to Johnny and flips him over his shoulder. Like it's nobody's business. 
they see Triton, who is just wearing a cloak, and we don't get a good look at him again. Like they, these Inhumans, it works. Like you don't get good looks at these characters for a while, and Triton just stays covered up for a lot of the story. And they're all fighting as a way to demonstrate their powers. So we got we got Foot Stomping Gorgon, we got Medusa and her crazy hair. Crystal seems to have some much some power over the wind or maybe the weather. Uh, Karate Chopping Karnak, Teleporting Dog Lockjaw, and now we meet Triton. Yeah, Not Triton, yet. who's cloaked up. We don't really get to see what really his power totally is. He's basically just a, a underwater creature. But then Medusa shows up, and Johnny's like, oh, that's a member of the Frightful Four. That's a bad guy. These are bad guys. Yeah, and so he is on alert, and he, uh, after a little scuffle, he burns up through the ceiling back out into Manhattan. And he signals the FF by making a giant flaming four in the air. Um I mean, you would think any kind of flame shape would be enough, but it's nice that he did it in a four. And so the Fantastic Three, the Thing, Reed, and Sue, get into yet another Fantastic Car. Every time they leave the building, it's in a new gizmo. Yeah, this is like a sky cycle or something. I forget what they call it exactly. The Looks air cool. jet cycle. It's a uh, real lean- a great splash page of them all flying on it. On eight, page 18. It's a very minimalist sort of steelwork looking thing. Uh, I just saw American Graffiti this week, Kevin. I can't believe I saw that before you, but go on. And, um, you know, directed by George Lucas, most famously the creator and director of Star Wars. Yes, and so, American, you know, Star Wars has tons of robots and spaceships. American yes. Graffiti, there's a lot of attention paid to hot rods and cars. Mm-hmm. And kind of like there's a lot of sound design in American Graffiti where you hear the rumble of different engines and they all have their own like pitch and timber. Yes. I feel like Jack Kirby and George Lucas would have gotten along in their love of just like vehicles. Like Kirby loves designing a new vehicle. He does it all the time. You know, ships and cars and cycles and Corvettes and surfboards and just matters of conveyance. He's like, he's down with that stuff. I mean, there's something to this era of Marvel where he's being let off the leash. You can just see him push himself further and further and stuff he would have never been allowed to do five years ago. And the more he gets to do, the more he wants to do. And he just gets crazier and crazier. And it's great. It's a blast. He's got to be one of the most confident artists I've ever seen. I mean, he'll draw... He'll draw whatever the story needs, and he puts a lot of effort into each panel. Like, if Johnny's in civvies, there's thought into what he's wearing. Oh, it's like a cardigan and some slacks and nice shoes or whatever. Uh, If they get into a car, the car is designed. Um, But he's also not taking, like, a day a page because he just didn't have that sort of pay. He was doing too many books. He was doing this and Thor and laying out other books. So at this point, like, it's not like he could sit here and design this cycle draw it out a few different ways before doing the page and spending some time and really getting the details right. At a certain point, he's just doing it. Yeah, I think the first draft is what we see. I mean, I, but I guess, I mean, he took time to, like, make particular choices about what this thing looks like. He didn't just, like, take the old bathtub fantastic car and draw it. He's like, oh, I'll do a new one here. It's I love it. I mean, it's it's these book these issues are dazzling. Um, okay, so we're about to head another cliffhanger. The... Johnny meets up the with the FF Fantastic arrive Four. where Johnny is. Yep, and they go, you know, he knows where the Inhumans, not yet named, right? They're not yet named. Uh, were they named? Uh, I mean, they're named in the issue itself. She I'm call, She calls it a, I'm looking for the word Inhumans, I don't see it. She calls them their family. We meet the individuals. Nope, we don't see it yet. 
Johnny knows where their lair is. Oh, what's this hairy hand, Kevin, in um, page 19, panel 3? Whose hand is that? I assume that's Gorgon. Oh, yeah. yeah it's it's, it's just, Gorgon, because the just, next panel they pull out and we see Gorgon. It's just blue for, like, lighting reasons. He doesn't have a yes. blue hand. Okay. I thought it was, like, the beast or something. No. Um, okay, so um, the Inhumans... Gorgon, uh, Gorgon and Karnak kind of team up to throw a big rock at the thing who smashes it, and then Black Bolt arrives. And that's the end of the issue. Yeah. Who, who he just, like, this? bursts through a wall. We don't know who this guy is. Nobody has referred to him. <laughs> Uh, and and it says next issue the shocking mind staggering secret of Black Bolt the end. <laughs> I mean, again, these issues shouldn't work. There's too many ideas. Things are not explained, but everything looks so good. I mean, we are in the hands of a master. Like this is just going to be. You know, it's going to be great. Yeah, I think we should stop and take our break here, Will. Oh, great idea. I always forget that. All right, we're going to take a break, and we will be right back. Uh, this is Will and Kevin from Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics. And hey, if you're enjoying this podcast, maybe try listening to our first season. Yeah, maybe. We started this podcast by doing a whole season, 50 episodes, all about Spider-Man comics. We even did it under a different name. Screw it. We're just going to talk about Spider-Man. Uh, and we did one episode for each issue of the original comic book run. That was done by Spidey's creators, Steve Ditko and Stan Lee. Plus, we spent time talking about the Spider-Man movies, the recent video game, one on Steve Ditko, one on Stan Lee, and lots of other fun stuff. And all those episodes are still up. They should be part of the same feed you use to get this podcast. So, if you're a fan of Spider-Man, uh, check those out. Screw it. We're just going to talk about comics. But in this case, we're just talking about the first season where we talk about Spider-Man. All from Campfire Media. And we are back. Um, so now we're on to issue 46, Kevin. Two more issues to go, right? That's right. This um, is called Those Who Would Destroy Us. Introducing the mystery of the Seeker. That's a, right. A character who I don't remember who that is. He's boring. Uh, okay. He's played up as a really big deal. Um, it also introduces Black Bolt, which is a much bigger deal. Yeah, they should be saying... And he's on the cover. He's displayed prominently on the cover. Um, okay, so here we are in our third issue of what is a long Inhuman story. They haven't been named. We've introduced like a thousand new characters. <laughs> yeah, they've been named in the title. They're referred to as the Inhumans on this first splash page in the caption. I feel um, like it's one of those names that they just start using and it's never made a big deal about, but we'll see. Yeah. You can do that in comic books. Everyone's got a costume. Everyone's got a nickname. And you don't really get into a lot of exposition as to how it happened. It's like... Uh, but, yeah. Um, okay, so the sp we're, we open mid-fight. Black Bolt and the Fantastic Four are going at it. Yeah, it's Black Bolt single-handedly taking on all four of them. He punches and knocks the thing over. Does Black Bolt have super strength? Yes. Oh, I didn't know that. His Whatever power he has within him makes him... I don't know. He can just do it all. <laughs> I thought he was just like his, his, he had his voice and then he just had like integrity was his power. Like everybody just respects <laughs> him. His power is not integrity. Yeah. He's super strong. He can fly. Mm. His voice is like a nuclear weapon that he never uses. Yeah. Um, He's silent is the thing with Black Bolt. And they don't, it's a slow reveal other than that Stanley does not have him speak. Which, which for Stan a dead is weird. giveaway. Yeah. yeah. Because Stan will, Stan will put a monologue anywhere. If there's a character's um, face in a panel, there's a word balloon pointing at it. 
Um, but Black Bolt is silent. That's um, right. And so he's mid-fight with the FF. We don't know anything about this guy. He's knocked over the thing. He dodges the torch. He does weird acrobatic moves to dodge punches. Everybody's and Johnny's knocked out. Just what's going on with these people? Yeah. And at this point, Triton, who like attacks Reed, mentions that we have hidden from the seeker for years. We will not reveal our presence now. And Reed's response is pretty reasonable. I've never heard of any seeker. Oh, but then he just starts fighting. Yeah. They love to fight. He rips off Triton's clothing, which is a rude way to fight. You don't know if that clothing is just covering up, you know, uh, you don't know what that's covering up. He's like basically making this person naked. Yeah, Reed's, well, Reed's trying to dehumanize him. He's humiliating him. He knows what he's doing. It's a psychological move. Um, page four, Kevin, panel three. What do you think of that sound effect? Sock? Yeah. Plus just the typeface that it's written in. Yeah, with little clouds coming out of it. <laughs> I think it's dumb. I think it's a fun move. I think more sound effects should have little clouds and lightning bolts coming out of them. Uh, Triton is dismayed, and he runs outside and jumps into the water. And we can see that he's like a fish creature. Yeah, his suit ends up being like a moisture bag, I think is what Reed calls it. So he needs it to survive in the atmosphere. And so he jumps into the East River um, to survive. To save himself. So um, um, so there's sort of a moment's rest because tr- uh, everybody's either been subdued or they're backing off a little bit. Yeah. Crystal but not goes- for long. Like immediately, like Karnak... Is trying to chop through Sue's force field. Gorgon makes an earthquake that bounces them away. Johnny is unconscious. Uh, Thing is unconscious. The FF um, is we, overwhelmed. Yeah, we cut away to the Baxter building at this point, and we see the Seeker. Who looks crazy, right? He's got like a goatee, sunglasses. He's got like a big Cardinals hat on. Yep. Cardinal, like the, uh, not the baseball player, but the, the religious figure. The Catholic leader. Um and these guys have just broken into the Baxter building, which I think is a high security place. But here they are. Yep. And they uh, they see Dragon Man, who's just <laughs> who is sleeping like a toddler on a huge mattress. Yeah, that's right. And they cuff him and take him oh, away. And here's where the word "inhuman" is used in dialogue for the first time. They're breaking into a laboratory, and I think the Seeker or one of his underlings—it's the Seeker—says, "My intercity scanner." saw them bring a gigantic winged creature into this laboratory. It could only have been an inhuman. So they call themselves inhuman. Yeah. Um, okay, so they they capture Dragon Man. There's a big ship floating outside, which is their transport, right? Yep. So He's got a gun that can, like, zap through stuff. The Seeker actually does seem to be kind of bad news, even though I have no memory of this guy. Uh, he, like, rides around on, like, a pogo stick that flies... Um, that's not unlike the thing Orion used to fly around on in the new gods. Yeah. It does look like Orion's little device. It basically looks like a bird scooter, but it flies in the air. Yeah. Or a, or a razor scooter, depending on, um, what time period I am broadcasting to. Um, (laughs) so back to the FF, they're fighting Black Bolt. Black Bolt is still going at it, but the thing sort of focuses up on him and I think the thing is stronger right it's unclear to me I think they're probably close why just because that's all he is I don't know because he's like really strong right like he 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 can handle himself against the Hulk a lot of times Black Bolt is really strong too Black Bolt could handle himself against the Hulk I'd say 
Right, yeah, well, he does. He uses what's called a master blow, which is some sort of karate chop to Thing's chest, and it stuns him. Um, and he's about to do, like, a finishing blow on the Thing, but then he staggers, and Black Bolt is like, oh, he used up his power. <laughs> yeah, he's wiped out. And then uh, Lockjaw teleports in and hits the Thing with a metal bar that he has in his mouth. <laughs> which is adorable. <laughs> it's cute. It's a fun way to fight. Yeah, so Lockjaw, you know slaps a girder at the thing and he can handle it but he's like distracted meanwhile johnny wakes up and flames back on he enters the fight this fight has been going on so long reed and sue who were like bounced away by a gorgon stomp come landing and crashing back into the inhumans lair they're cushioned by a sue force shield do they stop fighting anytime soon <laughs> i don't know a couple more pages of it and then the, no they don't the the FF just kind of run away. They're sort of like, we got to get out of here. No, the the Inhumans the, teleport away with Lockjaw. Lockjaw teleports the Inhumans away. And this is the thing, Kevin. Page 14, panel one. We have Lockjaw, and surrounding him is Medusa, Gorgon, Crystal, Black Bolt, and Karnak. And they vanish. And it's kind of like, I remember now the experience of reading this. It's like, wow, who who are those guys? Like, yeah. Even though the powers are dumb, or they they sound dumb, and even though I think they're actually cool, but they they could sound at first listen at first learning. On paper, they're dumb. terrible. Yeah, and um, we don't know anything. Silent about guy, them. dog that teleports, <laughs> moving hair, strong feet, guy who sees weaknesses. <laughs> Maybe and, weather uh, crystal's girl. pretty good. Yeah. yeah, weather girl's pretty good. And. Um, but when they leave, they have been there has been such a dazzling nonstop array of action that it's like you take a breath and you're like, I want more. I want yeah. more and I want to see the inhumans again. I want to know what their deal is. And you know, you th- you compare their introduction to the Fantastic Four's introduction, and the inhumans have such a much cooler entrance. I mean, you know, we're in the middle of a comic book that's firing at all pistons by the time the inhumans are introduced. But what an entrance, you know, like they they are the coolest. <laughs> And they are sort of like the X-Men meets the Avengers or something like that. Like, or they're, they're, no, they're like the, they're just basically like the X-Men with no Professor X. Yeah. Uh, they're right. they're per- Doom persecuted. Patrol. They're X-Men. They are, I mean, and they're meant to be a little bit like that. Cause when, when they first they talk about them, they wonder if they're like mutants, right? Isn't that a conversation that happens at some point? Are these like the X-Men? Like, no, they're not. They're not mutants or something else. That is an exchange that happened somewhere in here. I just don't remember where. But they are sort of redundant. Like we have the X-Men who are mutants and they're persecuted and they're, they, they're like a little brotherhood. And the Inhumans are similar. Yeah, I mean, definitely the weirder X-Men would fit right in with the mutants, right? Like uh, Nightcrawler would for sure just fit in with these guys. With the Inhumans, yeah. Because there's something about them that they're mostly weird looking. I also, Where the X-Men are mostly normal looking. The X, uh, this is a weird distinction, but the X-Men are also Americans, largely. I know Nightcrawler's not, but they're, you know, they're in Westchester. They're, they're like, they seem American, and these guys always felt like European or Tibetan to me. Like, they're, <laughs> they're just sort of like, they're, they're like the European X-Men or something. To me, they feel like aliens, where the X-Men feel like humans. Okay, but they vanish. Johnny's in love. The Fantastic Four are stunned. They go back to the Baxter building and the Seeker... They recorded him because they have a security device that recorded everything the Seeker did because they see that Dragon Man is gone. Right. So Reed uses his security device to figure out what happened. And he has a gun that does something. Oh, it, it can track a heat trail. Yeah. 
And we cut to the Seeker, who's also captured Triton off-panel at some point. So now he has Triton and Dragon Man. Yep. But they realize Dragon Man is not inhuman. He's just some big robot. <laughs> so Dragon then, Man was just a, a red herring. And the Seeker goes, then dispose of him. He is of no further interest to me. I seek only inhumans. Uh, in a Stanley comic book, people announce their purpose a lot so you can keep yeah. up. Um, and then what, the FF get captured? The FF go to the Seeker, but in attempting to... Negotiate. Attack or, or do whatever, they get kind of sucked into like some sort of weird bathtub machine. Okay, so they're temporarily subdued, and now for the first time, somebody tells us what's going on. That's right. Oh, this, this, the shot of the Seeker smoking is really great. Um, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, on page 18. <laughs> That's a kind of a Ditko panel, I think. He's lighting his cigarette with, like, a weird uh, Kirby machine, though. So the Seeker talks about the Inhumans, right? He tells he tells the yes. FF what's going on. And even though I'm looking at the page where it happens, I don't understand it. There's just basically a race of super people. They're a different race that came about separate from humans. Um, they were, like, a full civilized race before humans even existed, and they kind of went into hiding. I don't know why they went into hiding. But they were scared of there. So there were more humans, and humans did not breed as fast or something. So the inhumans sort of just stayed away from humans. Um, the seekers that's really basically it. Cocky. So they, they refer to a great refuge where most of the inhumans live. And the seeker wants to find it. The seeker wants them. The the, in, the actual inhumans we've seen are one of the oldest families, and he wants to bring them back to the refuge. I see. Okay. Okay. So the Inhumans that we just saw are like outcasts of this race, and the Seeker's job is to bring them back. Yeah, and then Dragon Man wakes up, breaks the thing that's holding Triton, and flies away. So now Triton is dying because he's not in the water. Dragon Man is loose. They're hanging out with the Seeker, seemingly getting along with him, and that's how the issue ends. Triton's dying on the floor. That's right. And Dragon Man's at the top of a building kind of roaring and... Anger. Yeah, and they're also worried Dragon Man will hurt people. Um, crazy. I stand by the fact that I think Dragon Man should have never left the FF. <laughs> um, all right, now we go to the last issue that we're going to cover, issue 47, Beware the Hidden Land. Oh, man, and, these are so fun. And this issue does not wrap up. Like yeah, this one end. didn't wrap up. This one will also end on a similar cliffhanger. So I'm warning our listeners now that if you want a satisfying conclusion, you're not going to get it for a while. Um, there is the feeling in these issues, and it's happened already, that the FF's world has been permanently expanded. That we are now going to move at this crazy pace where we are just constantly going to be introduced to new civilizations and realms and characters and we're going to do it efficiently and cleanly. I mean, this is Jack Kirby, to, in my personal opinion, the best he ever will be at, at the things he is good at. These stories are so exciting. And I got to imagine the readers who are writing letters are loving these stories that it's no wonder they tried to spin the Inhumans off into their own book. They don't work without some sort of tether to humans like the Fantastic Four. They, they almost work better as a counterbalance. Or maybe you just need Jack Kirby focusing up on them to, to do the weird magic trick of moving I, from one to the other to the other. I've read decent, like, limited Inhuman stories. Uh, Paul Jenkins did a great one. Um, there was another great one during uh, the Annihilation era of Marvel cosmic books. But they're generally very short-lived. And I think they just need 
they're better as secondary characters to, you know, the Fantastic Four or somebody like that. They could work with other characters, but they they can't be your main source because they're it's a whole race of people. They have to be the backdrop, I think, or it's easier to make them the backdrop. I can't say you should never. Um, well, whatever. Kirby wouldn't back down. I think you can never. <laughs> They just they're they feel like backdrop characters. They're so great as a backdrop, but I don't think they are they should be a focus. Well, when you have people fighting every two pages, it it allows you to not have to explain a lot. And so you just get to look at these fun people doing stuff. Um and recently sorry, go on. No, that's it. Recently, Marvel tried during the uh, not Disney not owning Fox era. They tried to up the Inhumans profile in the comic books, trying to like kind of shove the X Men to the side and make Inhumans sort of a bigger deal. And it didn't work because what makes the Inhumans cool, like once you start making, like they tried to do this thing, where like Miss Marvel is an Inhuman. They tried to do this thing where Inhumans were sort of like X Men that humans could be Inhumans, and yeah, and it just sort of didn't feel true to what makes the Inhumans cool. Yeah. Where like that works for the X-Men to be like, Oh, there's another mutant. It doesn't seem to work for the Inhumans where it's like, Oh, and there's now they're everywhere. And they're not this sort of secret race that hides in the corner that have these weird kind of bizarre, disturbing powers. Like once that goes away and they become more normal, they're just like, Oh, this is a different thing. Trying to think how to characterize it. I mean, you're totally right. And what I'm going to say is is not defensible, but it's they feel like an ancient mythological race. And the X-Men, I think of as primarily teenagers, like the, the fun of the X-Men is somebody goes through puberty, realizes they're different and has to deal with it. So you deal with these teenage soap opera drama. It's what I love about the X-Men. But this is like an ancient civilization of persecuted people who are who have powers. The, yes. the the oldness of it, and they are older themselves. They're world weary. They're European. I can't. They're European. You, 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 the Inhumans belong in Czechoslovakia. <laughs> Czechoslovakia doesn't exist. The Czech Republic, <laughs> Slovakia. I don't know. Like, you should go on yeah. a backpacking hostel trip, and you discover the Inhumans. The X Men you meet like at a rave. Yeah, and that we don't like Europeans, but we do like ravers. <laughs> I'm just saying there's just a good there's just a different vibe when you're hanging out with those groups. Yeah, I you don't like foreigners, I get it well. Yeah, that you you're reading me loud and clear. <laughs> uh Okay, so issue 47, our last issue for this episode. So, so one of these Czechoslovakian type creatures, <laughs> the amphibian triton is dying. He's dying and they feel bad for him even though they've been fighting him like crazy. Yeah, so well, they don't want someone to die. They only try to kill uh, Diablo and Skrulls and uh, whoever else they faced before this story. Uh, page two, they do a cool thing that I love. Sue puts a bubble around him, leaves a hole in it, and Reed fills it up with water to save him. Yeah. It's, it's really cool. It's really Sue's rad. Sue's powers are so useful. Uh, also, Johnny and Thing take off to go find Dragon Man. They split up. Uh, the Seeker is watching Reed and Sue rescue Triton, and he is demanding that He's insisting that Triton is still his prisoner. Yeah. He's like, you can save him. I want you to save him, but uh, he's still a prisoner. Then we cut to... And he's doing it for, he reveals who he's doing it, who he works for. He works for Maximus the Magnificent. Yet another character. 
Yeah. And he goes, Maximus, what power does he have? That is something you shall never know. The seeker says the seeker yeah. is wrong. We eventually do know that. He also said that about the great refuge. I think when, when Reed asked where the refuge was, what was his response? Uh, where is it? Says Reed, and the, and the seeker says that you shall never know. So that's a, <laughs> that's his catchphrase. He likes that. Uh, okay, so we cut to Alicia, the thing's girlfriend, who's in her that's right. insanely wealthy apartment that's got all of her like cool statues around. She's the blind and sculptress. Gi- a two-story window that she sits in front of. Yeah. And outside, conveniently, Dragon Man is fighting her boyfriend, the thing. Yeah, I love this because we didn't see the thing or the torch find Dragon Man. Yeah, but they're just mid-battle with him. They're mid-battle behind Alicia, like through the window. It is so fun to be like, them finding them is not interesting. They are fighting. <laughs> um, the fight sends Thing through the window. Yes. Uh, the thing is hanging on with his massive arms so he doesn't fall. And he's telling her to get out of the apartment. Yeah. To, to be safe, basically, right? Yeah. It's just almost like reminding us Alicia is a character in this book, too. Um, they tell each other they love each other. Alicia runs to safety, and the battle continues in her apartment. Yeah. Well, then they sort of chase Dragon Man out, and then Johnny sort of blasts him with enough flames that he is knocked unconscious. Like in Central Park or something? Like I up, guess so. He the, lands in a bunch of trees, so it must be the park. Because when they were up in the sky, they were over a bunch of skyscrapers, but when they land on the ground, it's a park. I bet Alicia lives on the Upper West Side. I mean, that apartment is a Central Park West apartment for sure. Yeah. Jeez. Um, I mean, her dad, her, her uncle, rather, stepfather was the puppet master. He has to have money. He is able to control any human being he can sculpt. Yeah. Out of his alien clay. No, radioactive clay. Radioactive clay. Um, okay, so Triton gets transferred by the Seeker's henchman from Sue's force bubble into a tank. So he is safe, although captured. Yes. And then they kick Reed and Sue out and fly away. Back to the Great Refuge with them. Uh, and also Reed is still rude to Sue. Yeah, be quiet um, while I take a directional reading on their ship. Yeah. I've never seen him this way before. So cold, so unreachable, thinks Sue. And my message to her is get used to it. Yeah, and you have seen him that way before. He's always like that. You can do better. Marry us. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm married, but. Well, I'll do it. <laughs> all right, all right. Sue, try an improv teacher <laughs> who appreciates you. Um, she is attracted to arrogant people because Namor is her other love. <laughs> and he is. I feel like Namor and I are two peas in a pod, you know? Namor's got a real improv teacher archetype. Yeah, sure, sure, yeah. Yeah. When I teach improv classes, I stand before them and I go, humans are my enemy. <laughs> yeah, I it's, declare it's a, war on the whole human race. It's a tough way to start a class. Gets their, gets their attention. All right, so we cut back to the Inhumans as they have transported back to where they live, right? Yeah, they went back to the Great Refuge, I guess, and they run into... Maximus. Uh, yeah, they run into Maximus. Who's wearing, like, one of these Kirby helmets, one of these... Uh, Kirby loves headgear. Yeah. It's just a bunch of metal bars that sort of wrap around his head. We don't know anything about Maximus yet. We find out eventually that he is Black Bolt's brother. Yeah. And insane. <laughs> Completely insane. <laughs> so here he just seems like a cold, calculating villain. I don't think they've decided that about him yet. He's not a madman yet. We also then meet the Alpha Primitive. We meet so many things. <laughs> On page nine, we see the Alpha Primitives, which are like a race of slave creatures that work for the Inhumans. 
and they attack. Maximus has ordered them to attack our, our little subset of Inhumans that we like. Yeah. And so Black Bolt, Medusa, Karnak, Gorgon, and Lockjaw, although Lockjaw just seems to have stepped aside, um, fight the Alpha Primitives. Yes. Uh, this happens fast. Uh, the fight somehow ends, and then Black Bolt just takes the crown from Maximus. Yeah, he agreed. I think it's, it's something. It's unclear. This part of the story is fuzzy. I, I'm not sure why the Inhumans left. It was something about Maximus, but it was also like Black Bolt maybe. I think Maximus took the crown, but how Black Bolt just gets it back, I'm not sure. But Black Bolt reveals that he is actually the king of the Inhumans, not Maximus. Right. See, the Inhumans have kings. X Men would have like a student body president. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> they're more European. They have the I know royalty. you hate. I, know, I, I get it. You don't understand these weird Europeans and their ways. I just don't like these inhumans trying to infringe upon the identity of my good American mutants. But Maximus sees that everyone is siding with Black Bolt, the true king, and decides to bide his time and says, Maximus has never desired power. My only wish is to serve you in my own manner. And looks as evil as he can look. He's getting real worm tonguey right away. Yeah. This could be the end of an issue right here. Yeah, Black Bolt puts on the crown, a crown that we just learned the existence of two pages before, but yes. now he's putting it on his head and becoming a king. That's also the Inhumans didn't want to be at this refuge. They just sort of show up and go like, all right, we'll be in charge. <laughs> they were on the run, but they just take over right away i don't know and so maximus Mac didn't want them there but he sent the seeker to find them it's all sort of confusing Mimo, the ff are in a plane yet another vehicle and they are flying to track the inhumans because reed somehow tracked the seeker's ship yeah remember he said shut up sue i'm tracking them right shut up woman shut up female can't you see i'm doing a man's job tracking um so the ff are um, yeah, closing and Reed, in. Reed continues to be so mean to Sue that she thinks, with everything that's happened lately, Reed has hardly been acting like a honeymooner towards me. Perhaps a new hairdo would make him realize I'm not one of the boys. Oh, Stan. In the panel right before that, Reed says to Johnny, um, Sue, when a man thinks he's in love, nobody can tell him he's not. Ta talking about Johnny wanting to find Crystal. Johnny yeah. thinks, that's the first time Reed ever called me a man. Yeah. Stan's trying to create interpersonal things going on here, but I feel like saying, Stan, there's no room. We have alpha yeah. primitives to deal with. There's a there's a line of succession to argue about in the Inhumans. Johnny feeling like a child is not an important plot point. It's not going to register. Also, is Thing holding a cup of coffee? Yeah, he's having a cup of joe, a little paper cup. Ben's turning it's from cocoa. I think it's referred to hot chocolate. Yeah, it's some hot chocolate. <laughs> That's really fun. <laughs> I mean, the thing is the best. He has changed so much. He's gone from this, you know, brooding brute to a guy that likes hot cocoa on the plane. Yeah. As they're looking for oh, these Sue's humans. Sue's trying a new hairdo. Sue actually tries a new hairdo. Yeah, she spends a few panels working on her hairdo. And then Johnny looks out the window and sees some dude flying around. Yeah, there's just some dude flying. And so they have found the great refuge. That's right. They land their 747 or whatever it is they're in. A really unnecessarily big jet. Uh, and Sue turns invisible because nobody's admiring her hairstyle. She's mad. Um, but she does have new hair. It looks pretty cool. Yeah, it looks um, fine. I like when Kirby gives people new looks. And so they find the Great Refuge. 
Yes, they they climb into it uh, through some crumbling rocks and some creative stretching. They get down in there. It's like an ancient um, European village that's sort of nestled oh, between mountains. It looks like it looks like you're in Prague, I would say, or mm-hmm. uh, Budapest, maybe. Sure, that's the style. Yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, it looks like the Vatican, if anything. Okay, I'll take that. Um, it doesn't look like Boston, Massachusetts. I'll tell you that much. Doesn't look uh, yeah, like New York City, where real heroes are from. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so we're the Inhumans are what? They're all just kind of hanging out, and Medusa's just whipping her hair around or something. I think they're arguing, and then the Seeker shows up with Triton, who they thought was dead. Uh, and then the and FF crash, and they're mad, and they're mad that like Maximus. I don't know. They're just mad at Maximus who's being a basic jerk. And then the FF basically fall into their throne room. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So now, um, yeah, then there's like some discussion where the FF are (laughs) trying to figure out what's going on. Black Bolt, the guy that just that beat the crap out of them last issue is now wearing this big metal crown. And they find out that Medusa, who used to be a member of the Frightful Four, is like the the wife of a king of superpowered creatures and very regal and official and not evil at all. So it's a very, she's like a Michelle Obama. She holds herself so, uh, perfectly. Yeah. And, um, I mean, the, from the fantastic force perspective, it must be like, I thought you guys were on the run from these people. You're now in charge of them. It's <laughs> yeah, been like a day. Miss? Yeah. Who uh, are these slave people? <laughs> Maximus talks some trash to Triton. Oh, but then yeah. Maximus does something crazy, right? Yeah, he goes and sets off a bomb. Or his Atomo gun, sorry. Atmo gun. His Atmo gun. And that he fires it, click, and that's the end of the issue. Yeah, the last panel is literally the Earth bathed in radiation. <laughs> we don't know what is happening, and it just goes, not sad. <laughs> it's like, that's not enough. I don't know what's happening. It's, it's so crazy, like... Um, so I, you know, as we describe it, it it might sound worse than it does to read it. To read it is just sort of like it's. Um, if you've been reading example. these issues piecemeal with us, you've got to read these four issues. Yeah, forty four through forty seven. They are so fun and crazy and cool. These are not skipping issues. These are reading issues. Oh, these are essential issues, more essential than any of the previous ones. Yeah, and um, yeah, the world is opened up. We're moving fast. It feels like a uh, maybe a John Woo movie where you kind of just go from fight to fight, but they're each so beautiful that it's admirable. It's crazy that so many things were introduced just in this issue alone. The Great Refuge, the Atmogon, the uh, Alpha Primitives, Maximus himself. And next issue introduces Galactus and the Silver Surfer and the, and the Watcher comes back. It's so much. It's so much. Um, it's funny. I think, you know, Marvel has mostly made its name by giving heroes an interior life, you know, like making their non-superpower side deeper or fun or flawed or something like that. You know, that's like, that's definitely the Steve Ditko Spider-Man model. You know, we get emotional. But Jack Kirby is like, I don't need it. I will have so many fun characters. No one has an interior life. It is punching and missions. (laughs) Yeah, and it's they just don't get a chance to breathe. They don't sleep or go to the bathroom for like twenty issues. I just saw Hobbs and Shaw. <laughs> uh, probably the next 
thing people most think of when they think of uh, the Fantastic Four is Hobbs and Shaw. Well, I mean, Fantastic Four is better than Hobbs and Shaw, but Hobbs and Shaw <laughs> was like a lot of fun and it kind of just keeps you off balance by moving from like, you know, sequence to sequence to sequence. Yeah. And I think it's really well done and a really fun movie. And in a way, Jack Kirby's doing some version of that. Like he just keeps you off balance. There's almost I mean, no think, time to sink too deeply into any one of these things. I rewatched the Mission Impossible movies a few weeks back and those feel similar. It's just sort of like Tom Cruise never gets a chance to stop. He's always chasing something for like half the movie. Right. And always like just been hit by a car too. And when there's like a moment to breathe, the gang just like lists a little exposition and it always ends with, so we got to get the box. <laughs> and you're like, okay, the box is next. But the, yeah, these four issues were just packed. And it, it, even though we were complaining about how the plot doesn't make sense, when you're in the middle of it, the stuff doesn't hit you that hard. You're just sort of like... You're dazzled. You're ride. just dazzled. You yeah. get to the end and you're like, why? <sighs> but you don't care about it in the moment. You're like, they show up. They're the kings. Okay, great. Here come the Fantastic Four. Uh, okay. Yeah. It works. It's really something special. It, it's like he, Kirby is pushing it so far that it becomes beautiful. Um, Kevin, what do we have left to do in this episode? Anything else we want to do? We can talk about awards. If there's any awards that you think of, I don't have a thought for let's, that. Let's do, let's just go right to email. We got, you know, we, I'm excited just to, to, to get to the next episode. Great. So the most important thing is we got a lot of emails and messages because you said that you thought Steve Ditko created, uh, Daredevil's red, red uniform. I was wrong. You were very wrong. Very wrong. It was Wally Wood. Uh, everyone told us that. Okay. But I want to cite just one person specifically. On Twitter, Jimmy Gownling said, uh, the Red Daredevil outfit was Wally Wood, I think, but I'm not going to look it up either, <laughs> which I was my favorite response because we said we were not going to look it up. When you said Ditko did it, I was like, I'm not going to look it up because I don't want to find out I'm wrong. Yeah. Uh, so I like that Jimmy also was not looking this up, though. Lots of other people did cite how wrong we were. It's very... Everything I looked into is like, oh, it's 100% Wallywood. There's no question about it. There's no debate about who created it. So good job, Wallywood. You are a talented person. Uh, Wallywood was great. Wallywood was one of the many brilliant artists that Stan got to work for Marvel. I mean, it's really smart. Like It was like issue eight or something when that costume changed. He just brought Wallywood in and let him redesign a, a new costume so fast. Yep. But he was like, Daredevil wasn't quite working. He brought in a very talented person and let him fix it. Stan was a great editor. He was a great editor-in-chief. Uh, but, yeah, so that is a very important email. So thank you to everyone who wrote in about that. My apologies. Um, I do think couple... that Steve Ditko designed um, the Empire State Building. <laughs> I'm not going to look it up. I'm going to assume you're right. Yep. Um, so one thing a lot of people have been asking us about is just this week it has been announced that uh, Sony and Disney might be on the splits. Uh, um, Spider-Man might no longer be part of the MCU or mm -hmm. Disney might not. It's unclear. Disney might not help make Spider-Man movies and people are upset about it and they want our take. Do you have a take on that news? Well, no. What you tell me, my take would be to ask you what's going on. Well, it's unclear. First of all, it sounds like they probably are still negotiating it. Uh -huh. It doesn't sound like it is a done deal. It just sounds like they're, they're, it's it's you know it's like a striking union. They stepped away from the table. Okay. The first offer was rejected, and now they're not talking. But it doesn't mean they won't get back together and talk again. Right. So I still think it'll it'll actually work out. That being said, I'm amazed Sony ever agreed to this deal. 
because it's not like their movies weren't making money. Right. They just thought they could make more money this way. Right. And so at least according to the articles, the deal Disney offered was 50%, which is an enormous cut. Of the, if, of the pure Spider-Man movies? Yeah. Yeah. And if they got 50% of even the most recent Spider-Man movie, which made a billion dollars worldwide. Yeah. That would leave them with a movie that did worse than the worst Spider-Man movie that Sony ever made, which was Amazing Spider-Man 2, which made like $700 million. Yeah. So, so why would you do that? Yeah. They can walk away and get 100%. Yeah, so even uh, at their worst, they're getting $700 million. Yeah. I mean, I'm sad in the sense that Sony, especially based on Venom, which was fine but not good, I don't believe gets the fun, good-natured feel of Spider-Man anymore. I think they want these darker movies that Amazing Spider-Man was veering towards. I, uh, I don't trust their judgment. Yeah. But they own the rights to the character. I don't blame them for not taking a bad deal. I mean, as a fan... I certainly want Spider-Man integrated into the MCU because that's fun. Yes. Uh, and Marvel, like you say, has done better with, with their characters than Sony has done with the Marvel characters overall. That's true. Yes. Um, does Sony have X-Men also? No, that was Fox. So Disney okay. has that again. Okay. Um, Basically, Spider-Man is the only character left. But he's that, huge. I mean, that's like... In, yeah. in in my mind, that's 50% of the Marvel Universe because he's so important. That'd be like saying you have all of the Yankees that ever existed except for Babe Ruth. Right, right. Yeah, like you're missing like the the kind of the titular it's one. It's like, oh, you got some good ones. You got Joe DiMaggio. You got Mickey Mantle. Do you have yeah. Babe Ruth? No. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> Ugh, we got to get that one. Yeah. Uh, so it stinks from a, that standpoint. But I mean, it isn't like Sony stole Spider-Man. Yeah. They bought the rights way back when. If anyone stole Spider-Man, it is Marvel stealing it from Steve Ditko. Yeah. So Disney is not heroes in this story. And people, are, people, I got an email about someone wanting me to sign a petition, which are always dumb, uh, to say that Sony should give up the rights to Spider-Man to Disney. That's insane. Yeah, that's insane. It's, you know, I would. I mean, if as, I owned Spider-Man, fans, you you do. If I, I owned Spider-Man and yeah. was making movies with you and me and no budget, and they were awful, <laughs> and no one else could make Spider-Man movies. <laughs> And I was making $100 off of it. I would not think, uh, I would not <laughs> feel like I would owed it to anybody to sell it back to Disney or give it back to Disney for sure. I mean, if that was happening, we would have a lot of fun with that. We would have so much fun with it. But it would be like, it'd be crazy for anyone to say like, you shouldn't get to keep the thing that is the most valuable property you own. It sort of feels like I want to live in that house. You should give it to me. I would be, be I would be do better. I would decorate that house better than you. Or maybe more like I bought all the property around your house and I built everything around it. Your thing is kind of in my way. Give it to me. And it's like it does from the outside look like you're being a holdout, but you were actually there first. And yeah. so yeah, I it's I want good Spider-Man movies, so I I wonder if the success of Spider-Verse is emboldening Sony cuz Spider-Verse was such a great film. Uh, yeah, and, but it also, and, you could, and you could make the argument pretty, and I, people have made this argument that it is the best soul Spider-Man movie, um, and it certainly is a great movie, no matter what, yes. you, no matter even if you don't, if you, even if you think that's going too far. Um, so Sony might be, and they made a crap ton of money on it. They might be feeling like you know well, what we'll they be didn't all right. though. They didn't make a crap ton. Actually, it's it's the least profitable Spider-Man movie of all time. Oh, I didn't know that. Animated movies just never do as well, especially like an animated movie that's not for kids. 
never does as well as like Amazing Spider-Man 2 did better than Into the Spider-Verse. That's so depressing. Uh, Into the Spider-Verse did good. They're going to make more of them. Yeah. It's successful. It's, it's critically acclaimed, which they hadn't been for a while. But it isn't like a huge moneymaker. Wow. I'm surprised. And also Disney makes gets all the merchandising rights, I think, for those movies. Oh, really? I think so. I think they own the Spider-Man. They, spell, they sell the Spider-Man toys, I believe. I think Marvel keeps the merchandising rights. Damn. So it's I, one of these things where basically... I saw, I saw Spider-Verse twice, so I did my part. Uh, I think... Uh, I think this deal will still happen if Sony wants it and Disney wants it. It'll work out. Fifty percent was just not a good deal. Yeah, and it was a. Stu- it's it's. I think about it with baseball players sometimes, where baseball players get mad at the team for not giving them more money, and you're like, well, they were offered a lot of money. Shouldn't they have just taken it? But it's like some if somebody was willing to pay that baseball player twice as much. Yeah, it's just it's sort of just insulting that you know, like whatever. It's like the Red Sox won't pay. Uh, Pedro Martinez every cent he wants but a lot of teams will and he's sort of like ah, I feel like the team insulted me they sort of did yeah uh, e- even though the money they offered choice. was a tremendous amount or something yeah, yeah. It's, it's like if somebody else thinks they're worth this much and you won't give it to them what does that mean yeah. uh, so there's something about that saying like you have to give us half the profits it's, it's an insulting I wouldn't counter offer that yeah I would just be like, no, fifty percent is way too much, and you know it. Make a better offer. We'll start from there. They're just, they could just, yeah, it could just be a hardball tactic where it's like, look, yeah. you do not have a ground. We own this character, so we'll walk away with him if that's the way you're going to be. Right. And you can't stop us. Uh, so we don't actually know where this will end up. I think there's more to this story. I think it's not done yet. I think, you know, in the next year we'll find out. There'll there'll be more of these stories where like they renegotiate or something, and it might still end up with Sony not letting Disney have Spider Man back or. Uh, you know, they'll have to like write Spider-Man out of the Avengers movies off panel or something. I don't know. Or just stop mentioning him. That's the way you do it in comics. Yeah. I mean, he was outed in the last movie, so he could just be like, he went into hiding. Yeah. Uh, so somehow there's ways around it and it's a bummer, but also I don't like this getting mad at. So uh, first of all, corporation, I don't care about defending Sony either. It's a corporation, Yeah. but I'm not going to fight Disney's battle for them. We Disney we, owns we fans get crazy about stuff, and we make emotional decisions yes. that nobody who's actually in charge should make. <laughs> Disney owns all the Marvel characters, the Muppets, all the Star Wars characters. Do they own Indiana Jones? I don't. I think they might. They own so many things, including yeah. Disney. And yeah, Pixar. Just, just Disney was big. Yeah, they don't. They own the like, Muppets from s- the Sorcerer's Apprentice. <laughs> yeah, the biggest fictional characters in the world, the yeah. mops from Sorcerer's Apprentice. Yeah. They don't need, like, they don't get Spider-Man, they don't get Spider-Man for free. That's all. That's our take. Anyway, I, I get mad at people who want me to be at, mad at Sony. I, I understand I that. Twi- Twitter asks other people to be mad for their own agenda, and sometimes it's like, you know what, I'm not mad about it, sorry. <laughs> yeah. I want um, good Spider-Man movies. Yeah, and however I get them, and I don't mind if Spider-Man is solo if he's not in the MCU as if they're good. I don't they're good, trust then. Sony to make good movies, but that's a separate problem. Yeah, I can also so- see like five years, ten years from now, Disney starts making bad Marvel movies. It will happen at some point. Sure, yeah, it'll get bad. They'll all get bad, and then they'll sort of go away for a little bit. Um, everything gets worse. That's one of our maxims here on the um, screw. We're, we're just gonna talk about comics uh, universe. Um, I mean, Star Wars movies were all great. And then they were all terrible. And now they're, and now they're all, good again. They're okay. 
they're pretty good. They're on the good side of okay. Okay. Uh, I got a couple more emails. Do you want me to save them or do you want to do them? Let's do them. Parker, get me photos of that wall crawling menace. Uh, okay. Uh, here's a question. If you worked for the Daily Bugle, Will. Yes. And you were assigned to get a picture of Spider-Man. How would you go about doing it? <laughs> That's a fun question. Yes. Well, I mean, I guess I'd have to get to the top of a friend's apartment building who had uh-huh. roof access and just hope to God Spider-Man flew by. <laughs> That's that, or swung by. That's one way I would do it. Um, yeah. I think another way would be. I mean, if I'm using the old Stan Lee, put an ad in the newspaper as a supervillain saying, Spider-Man, I challenge you to a duel. Meet me at the base of the Statue of Liberty at 2 o'clock. <laughs> on the ground. I, I can't go to the crown, so it's got to be low. <laughs> I'm not good with heights. Yeah, yeah. Just, or you know what? Spidey always did this. I'll be like, Spidey, for charity, be a guest at this thing. But then it's just my house. Yeah, you wouldn't even, you know, you shouldn't even say be a guest. Like, he's promised to show up for these orphans. Yeah, so that's how you do it. And then he feels guilty and shows up. Yep. And then I'm like, click. Yeah. I mean, knowing what we know, we could also just use like Uncle Ben to try to lure him out, right? Um, sure. Is he still alive in the universe that we're doing? We could just say, hey, I found Uncle Ben's uh, uh, old diary. <laughs> oh, right, right, if you, right. If right. you want it, swing by this window. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how often you could get away. I could get one photo. Then he probably wouldn't trust me anymore. <laughs> yeah. Swing by that could be a runner, like somebody constantly is using newspaper ads to fool Spidey. Oh, I fell for it again. That'd be good. Anyway, this this guy who sent us the email, Brandon Kuhn, said, uh, my plan would be to put a plate of wheat cakes out on the edge of a building and hide besides beside one of New York's many water towers to get the perfect picture. It's not that much worse than what we said. Yeah. Or you know another thing is near flagpoles you could just set up automatic cameras. He loves flagpoles. That are triggered by someone pulling on them. <laughs> I got another shot of his hands. Okay, <laughs> um, that's one email. Uh, I think this is a lie, but I'm going to read it anyway. James Duvall or a joke. He wants to give us another co-creator credit for Steve Ditko. Uh-huh. Kirby was having trouble coming up with more characters, which does not sound real already. Yeah. Uh, Kirby was having trouble coming up with more characters to create for the Inhumans, and he really liked Fancy Dan a lot. Yeah. So he took the whole mini martial artist with a mustache motif that is Fancy Dan, changed his uniform, and we got Karnak. Uh, I'm sure it's not true, but I will choose to believe it. Yeah, I love that. Um, I mean, there is similarity. They both do karate chops a lot. Yep. Uh, he. Uh, a lot of people are recommending. I'm not going to get into these now. A lot of people are recommending what we should do next. Okay. What we should do for future seasons. We'll talk about that at another point. We're yeah. getting a lot of good offers. We're definitely going to do, a, sh- that we've we're gonna do a shorter batch next season for sure. Yes. Yeah, something like the 90 issue run. <laughs> uh, one more email that I want to do today, though. All right. There's an issue of What If, where the Watcher shows us four different realities in which, rather than being granted four random powers, Sue, Johnny, Ben, and Reed all get the same power. With all the fire powers, the FF burn down a block of New York, kill a baby, and disband. When they all become monsters like the Thing, they're so horrified and disgusted, they banish themselves to a deserted island. With Sue's powers, they all become agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. The one that stands out to me the most is when they all have elastic powers. In this reality, Ben and Sue are so embarrassed to have a power as ridiculous as being stretchy that the Fantastic Four never band together. The only member even to go public that has powers is Johnny, who uses his abilities to become a famous entertainer by the name of Mr. Fantastic. Wow. So he has two questions. 
The first question is, do you think it's possible to create an interesting version of the FF where they all exclusively exclusively have the ability to stretch? <laughs> I mean, yes. I mean, we've seen such crazy powers, right? Like the rubber family could definitely be something. Yeah, I, I'm, I think I'm if thinking I did it, circus. I think I would definitely focus. Each one would use their powers in different way. I mean, the metal men sort of are this, aren't they? I guess so. The DC character Metal Man are just like, they all sort of stretch around. But I would just like have them, you know, whatever. Like one of them uses their stretching powers more for disguise. One of them uses it more offensively. They could kind of all do everything, but they'd all have like their specialties. It wouldn't be as good. (laughs) (laughs) It's fun. Also, does this mean that Sue is secretly embarrassed by her husband and his powers? It does. That's canon. do you think when Sue looks at Reed, like, stretching into a cube like you did in the most recent issue we talked about, she's like, oh, brother. <laughs> I would love that. That'd be so fun. It or would like, be a nice you know, counterbalance to his jerkiness, too. When, Reed, like, things shoves him into a jar, she's like, oh, yeah, yeah. Or just, like, it. grossed out, maybe. Like, he turns in his legs into wheels, and she's like, I kissed that. Yeah, that's funny. Uh, that's from Jameson Styles. Thank you, Jameson. Uh, we've got a few other things, but I'm not going to get into those today. Those are the four we're going to cover today. If you want to email us, our email is screwitspidey at gmail.com. And we have a Twitter account, screwitcomics. And we have an Instagram account, screwitcomics, where Kevin is putting up a lot of great panels from these issues. I highly recommend it. Yeah. And next episode, we're going to talk about the next three issues of Fantastic Four. These are... Uh, unquestionably the most famous three issues of Fantastic Four. Issues 48, 49, and 50. This is the Galactus Trilogy. Uh, Stay tuned, True Believers, because it's a great set. Yeah. Keep your eyes out for The Watcher. When he shows up, you'll know that podcast is about to drop. (laughs) And and, uh, when we release the podcast next uh, episode, we will fill the sky with rocks. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Thanks for listening. Uh, See you next week when we talk about different issues. Bye. Bye. Hey, Rachel, Oscar. Yeah, Claire? Claire? Do you love Disney movies? Uh Uh-huh. Have you seen them all? Not Not all of them. them. What do you guys think if we watch them all in chronological order and then talk about them? Ooh. Oh, and what if we could talk about it with some of our favorite friends? (gasps) I love that. Yeah, what if we do it inside the Disney vault? You know, that's the name of our podcast, Inside the Disney Vault on Campfire Media. Yeah, check us out on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to yours. That's Inside the Disney Vault. Let's go. Campfire.